This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. This is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today, I have with me Elisa Applewhite. She's a CEO in the healthcare staffing space and has been in the nursing field for several years. Thank you for joining me today. Awesome. Hey, hey, how are you, Roman? I'm so excited to be here. So excited to talk to your audience about healthcare staffing. So excited. I'm good. Thank you for coming on. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? So um, I started off uh, as a CNA in healthcare staffing um, in the healthcare world. That's a certified nurse and assistant. So that's the person that bathes the patient, washes the patient, um, brush their teeth either in their mouth or outside their mouth and put on their hair or brush their own hair. Um, so that's what I started off as, as a CNA. And I did that in high school. They actually had it in as a high school class that you could take. Um, and then I did that for about five years and I became a LPN which is a licensed practical nurse in the nursing area. We say it's a low paid nurse because you have the RN above you. (laughs) So we do the same job. It's just, they get paid a little bit less, but I did that because um, it was what I seen. So I seen CNAs and I worked in nursing homes and then above the CNAs uh, upper stepper level was the LPN. So I'm like, all right, I could be an LPN. Um, And I needed, I got into healthcare because I needed a career that can help me with my children. I had my son when I was 14. So every job that I got, it was just like, I need something fast to help me raise this child fast because, you know, I was young. I, I didn't, I couldn't go out and get the jobs with, you know, the six figures or even, um, what it was, not even four figures. Right. So (laughs) I had to, I had to do what I had to do. And, um, I love taking care of my grandma. Absolutely loved it. Was a grandma's child and all of my high school teachers and I'm like, you need to go into healthcare. You need to go into healthcare. Now I knew I wanted to go into healthcare, but I wanted to always be a doctor. And then I'm like, um, it was like, but you need to do something now to make money. Um, you should try nursing. And I tried it and it just fit me so much. Like I didn't feel like it was a job. I've never felt like nursing was a job. It's it's like being there with the crazy uncle, the stable mama or the grandmama who say stuff. So that's always how I trade treated healthcare. Um, so I was an LPN for about five years. Um, and that's when you pass out medications to the patients plus do the um, bathing and washing as well. And I wanted to go into hospitals. I always said I was meant to be an ER nurse. Um, I love fast medicine. I love blood, guts, all that gory stuff. That was me. So I knew like um, I wanted to go into the ER and I found it very, very fascinating that if I'm coming in there with a heart attack or if I'm coming in, I can't breathe. You have acquired a skill 
that can help me start being normal again. So that was like huge for me. And you had to do it quick. Like you got to think on your feet as an emergency room nurse. So I said, okay, what do I have to do to get into the ER? Um, and they said, well, you have to become an RN. So I became an RN which is a registered nurse. And I went straight into the ER as a new grad. Um, the great thing is I had great connections as a CNA working with the staff. So they pushed me right in as a new grad and I stayed an ER nurse for about six years. Um, and lo and behold, <laughs> I was working and I'm a, I'm a team player. Like I believe let's get the work done so we could take care of the patients because the experience for the patient matters to me. It truly, truly matters to me. So I was, we were working and we had travel nurses come in and me and this travel nurse had really became close. She was there for like six months and she said, um, you just need to go into travel. And I'm like, me, Roman, how can I travel? I had my son, my daughter at 21. I had my son at 14. I can't leave my kids. You know, I have to be here to be there for my kids. So um, she's like, you can do local travel. And I was just like, what is that? And she said, anything less than an hour from your home. So I was already traveling an hour to get to the emergency room. And she said, well, you should be getting paid travel pay. So I'm like, okay, what do these travel people make? What, what's what's the money that they make? Like, because I'm making $22 an hour. I done been homeless. I done made $6.25 as a CNA. Like 22 is good. I'm, I'm living the American dream to me. And she was like, I make $50 an hour. And I was like, for what? To do the same thing we're doing together right now at the same time? <laughs> so it just like expanded my mind. And when she said it, um, I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical because people will say stuff for you to jump out. And then, you know, you you be trying to figure out how to get back. And she was like, because I love you, I'm going to show you my check. And she showed me her check and she made $5,000 in one week. And I couldn't believe it. I really, I couldn't, couldn't believe it. So I went into, um, I started traveling and then I did local travel and then I did long distance travel. I did that for about seven years. Um, I did COVID for two years, uh, New York, California, Texas, all the hot spots. Those were 70, 60 to 70 hour weeks. Um, but the reason why I started a healthcare staffing agency, because when I was doing COVID, when I was working COVID, um, healthcare professionals aren't supposed to see that much death. Like that's not what you see. If you're an ICU nurse, an ER nurse, you're in the habit of saving lives. Right. And to put so many patients in body bags, like we will put five to 10 patients a day per shift in a body bag and push them down to the trucks downstairs, the freezer trucks, cause we couldn't store them in the hospital. Um, it was just very, very sad. And I seen like the hope leaving from my medical professionals faces like you work this hard you go to school to do all of this to save lives and you telling me this many people are dying so what am i doing what what am i effectively doing to help save this patient what am i effectively doing to help the family not feel this pain so that's where i was i'm like you know what god i'm a very bubbly person so Anytime I go somewhere, I try to be positive. I always taught myself and said to myself, um, a good coworker told me this. When you go into a patient's room, it's rainbow, sunshine, ice cream, um, and candy. So you drop all your problems at the door and you worry about that patient because they're a patient, right? They have more problems than you have walking in that room. 
you could walk out and go home to your family. They can't leave until either a doctor say they can leave or they voluntarily leave and then the insurance don't pay. It's just a whole bunch of extra problems. So my whole thing was, you know what? God, give me a bigger scale. Give me a bigger scale where I can motivate medical professionals to let them know that at the end of the day, we're not losing this battle. We're not going to lose this battle. We still can have compassion in this battle. And that is why I opened up my healthcare staffing um, agency so I can have a bigger audience to show them like compassion still exists in healthcare. We just got to get it out of ourselves, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And do you think, obviously, you mentioned having kids young, that if you weren't presented the opportunity within while you were still in school to potentially, obviously, get your foot in the door and start kind of ground level um, in terms of the nursing field, do you think you would have pursued it after high school or it would have been a lot harder? I mean, it just depends on the person because I feel like regardless of the obstacles that, you know, I've had in my life, personal, professional, I still overcame it. So it's just kind of a question, like, do you think uh, it would have deterred you and potentially you would have moved into a, a different field or a different track? No, um, because I always wanted to be a doctor. So I used to go around telling my mom and my family I want to be a brain surgeon. And um, it's because I had met, I uh, can't think of his, Keith Black. Keith Black, he was the head uh, He was the head brain surgeon at Mount Sinai Hospital in California. So I always like read books on him growing up and I knew I wanted to go into um, medicine before I got pregnant. Um, but once I got pregnant, it was just like, all right, you can't go away to school this much. You can't do all of this because who's going to help you with your children? And I mean, your child. And I, I mean, I had a great mom. My mom, she would have kept my son and I wouldn't have to have any worries. I could have went off to medical school and everything. But I felt like that was my responsibility. Um, and I didn't want to leave it on her. Um, that was um, my option to have my son. And he, he motivated me and actually changed me to be more um, like specific, to be more serious. Right. So before him, it was just an idea, a theory. But after him, it was like, all right, now you're here, sir. What we're going to do with you. I'm your mama, 14, you know, and he just motivated me um, to just keep pushing for my dreams. So I was still going on the path of being a doctor until I went to um, high school and met one of the nurses that was teaching us. And she had pretty much said it to me, like, use this as a stepping stone to get to medical school. But once I fell into the nurse the nurse world, it wasn't a stepping stone. It was like, exactly, this is where I need to be. Regardless of who you are, really a, a, a taking accountability for your situation, yes, oftentimes that's the harder route to take, but it's the more rewarding um, route because, one, uh, your child went along kind of that journey with you, and you can reflect on that, different milestones and stuff like that. So I think it's, you know, that accountability is huge. Yeah, so I always tell my son we have a joke in between each other. I said, you're the child that's seen all the mistakes, so don't do it. Like, you've seen the mistakes from the start. And it, it, it gets hard. I'm not going to say, like, promoting um, teenage motherhood because if I could wait, I would wait, you know, 10 or 20 years um, to have the same son. 
but it it was hard and you had to stay focused. And once I had my um son, the friends that I felt like that were like so close to me, my best friends, they just all of a sudden disappeared. And it wasn't because, you know, I was a teenage mom. It's because they were still kids and I was now dealing with adult issues. And I had to, you know, understand that part. But it got really rough when I was in 11th grade in high school. Um, a situation had occurred between me and my mom and I ended up in the shelter um, with my two year old. And I just remember like crying, saying, you know, no matter what happens, I have to succeed. Like I can I can't never not have a home for my child. Like that's not even an option. Right. So if I if I didn't have my son and I became homeless. Right would I've had that same motivation to be like, look, I got to get a place over my head. I, I felt like becoming a mom, once I had my son, it made me stay accountable, as you say, for exactly what I needed to provide for him. Um, and I grew up in a very impoverished neighborhood um, in Jersey City, New Jersey. And I didn't know. I, I didn't know we were poor until society told me I was poor. We grew up in the most happiest house ever. Um, we grew up in a, a one bedroom apartment with 12 people. And it was the best times ever, you know, having your cousins and your mom and your grandma there, like everybody's always home. Um, but society told me I was poor and I'm just like, okay, I get it. So now I understand the importance of being accountable and working hard to get exactly what you want. So um, that having my son gave me the foundation that I needed to push through with hard circumstances and situations. So no matter what came that that helped me to push through and it's the same things that I use now in my healthcare staffing business, no matter what happens, I just stay positive and push through because one thing that Steve Harvey says that I absolutely love is, you have 100% wins against all of the times that you thought you was going to fail. Every time you thought that something was going to go wrong, every time that you felt and you convinced yourself something was going to fail, if you're still here today, you passed it 100% of the time. So I try to change my mindset in everything. Not try. I had to change my mindset to get to the level that I am in um, being a CEO at Healthcare Staffing um, in order to realize, look, there's two sides to it. Myron Golden says this. It's the positive side and the negative side. You just got to choose what side you want to choose every day. So every day I make a decision, not a choice, but a decision. I decide that I'm going to choose the positive side and I decide who's going to be in my arena um, closest to me to give me energy, feedback or anything. I decide who is going to get into my mind. I decide that. So that all started with you know, I got to own up for the, the child that I had. Now, the daddy, that's, an, we could have, that's another episode, Roman. We could talk about that another time. <laughs> failures aren't bad either. You know, failures are a path to success as long as you learn something and take something away. So I say a lot on the show, everything in life is a lesson or a blessing and taking that and then applying that and potentially harnessing that or pivoting in business or in life or doing something else. But there, there's no real growth without failing at some point. That's, that's so true. And um, you made me think of when they said um, millionaires, it has two L's in it. So you're going to take losses, right? In order to get to your millions, you're going you're gonna to take losses. So uh, so many people play the victim. Um, and it's because they don't have the right, they're, they're not 
taking the time to put the right people around them to help change that mindset. And as you had discussed, like my mom, she previously was on drugs um, for years of my life and she just cold turkey quit. And she's been the best mother ever. Like I love my mom. Like I'm glad God gave me back my mom. And then my dad, we had those issues with him. So um, it's like, I can choose all day long to say, you know, my mom did this to me. My dad did this to me. But it takes accountability and it takes courage to say, mom, look, when you were doing this, this is how it affected me. And I want you to know that it affected me long term. Can you explain to me where you were at that time? And once you sit down and you have those conversations, and even if people choose not to answer that particular conversation, you're releasing this energy that you're holding. You're, you're releasing this, this pain that you're holding and you're giving it back to them in order for them to either answer it or deny it, but you're releasing it. So um, Tyler Perry speaks about this a lot. Uh, most people, um, especially in the black community, we're very private about the things that happen in our household. You know, we're taught like, Whatever happens in the house stays in the house. But then you get the mindset of, okay, this happened to me and I really want to talk to somebody about it. You know, I really want somebody to hear me. And when somebody hears you, then they might have a solution. Maybe they went through the same situation. So what we did, me and my husband, we decided that we were going to break the cycle of not allowing our kids to speak and not allowing our kids to have people to talk to. So we went to see psychologists um, and we took our kids to see psychologists. We did it as a family because it's so much damage, right? Is so much damage just done from society and then families and just from our own mindset. We damage ourselves and we had to seek healing, not only just with God's teaching, but physically have somebody sit and give us plans on, okay, if you, if this happens, this is what you do. Um, so we do this method, which I absolutely love is when our kids want to talk, we actually have like a stick and it could be a spoon. It could be a broom. It could be any type of stick. Whoever has the stick, they talk. Nobody can interrupt them at all. They just talk. They talk about how they feel. They talk about how you made them feel and you can't get offended. But what you can do is get your notepad that you have because you're not allowed to talk and write down what you want to, you know, come back as a rebuttal or come back as a, can you answer this more clearly? And it gives them the, the chance to say, look, I'm in an open conversation with my family. Um, and it gives us the chance to see what's going on with our kids. But it also gives me like a, a chance of saying, look, my mom, she never was the type where um, if I don't care what happened, don't tell me. My mother's like, whatever happened, you tell me like you tell me. No matter, you know, when she was on drugs or not, it was like, whatever happens, you make sure you tell me. My grandmother was that I don't want to hear what you got to tell me. You're a kid's kid, stay in a kid's place type thing. Um, so it was just that was what I was trying to change in our generation is I want you to have this open conversation. I want you to know that I'm here to listen to you. And I want you to know that the only one in life that can make you succeed is you. And it all starts with mindset change, right? So that that's how we run our household. And that's, that's how I run my business. I hold my nurses accountable because at the end of the day, um, when you don't feel like going to work or when you feel like calling out, that affects the patient. You did not become a healthcare staffing owner to affect the patient. You came to do a positive effect. 
to make sure you're there to change them. You're there to give them their medications. So I need for you to be accountable because you could have, like you said, Roman, you could have picked any job, right? What made you go into healthcare? There's a reason why you went into healthcare. And I'm here as a CEO to remind you that if you're working with top of the line healthcare staffing, which is our healthcare staffing agency, then you are in this for compassion. You're in this because you're accountable. You keep yourself educated um, and you're in it because you love the patient. You love what you do and you see how it affects the patient on a daily basis. Um, People don't understand how important it is to be a patient in a room and have a medical professional in that same room with the door closed that you don't know what that medical professional is saying to that patient. You don't know how they're treating that patient. And that's one of the things that we target with top of the line is we make sure we put people at the bedside who we don't mind being in closed doors with the patient because at any day, Roman, people walk around this world and they just don't understand that at any day, any moment, any time, you could have a heart a heart attack, you could have a stroke, you could just pass out. At any moment, you can become a patient. So you want to put out in the universe exactly what you're going to get back. You want to treat people, if you're a medical professional, if you're a healthcare staffing medical professional, you took the job. You want to treat people as if they have dig- dignity and respect. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in several hospitals for almost 18 years of my life. And the first thing you do when you walk in the room, they have these little old raggedy gowns on and the butt is all out. And as a medical professional, hey, I'm Elisa, pull up your gown. It doesn't matter that you kept it private for 20 years. It doesn't matter that you kept it private for five years, right? Only thing that matters right now is I have to get a job done. And that is where I'm trying to get other healthcare staffing owners to understand. You have to go down to the core of the medical professional to treat them. Say, hey, you treat that person with dignity. Hey, Roman, I'm Elisa. Do you mind if I do a physical assessment on you? What I'm going to do is I'm going to lift up your shirt. I'm going to look at your chest first. I'm going to listen to your heart. And then I'm going to touch your stomach. I'm just making sure that you have any masses or anything. And then I'm going to touch your back. Are, Are you comfortable with me touching you? Do you see the approach other than Roman, um, come on, let's go. You, uh, Mr. Roman. Okay. I need to do my assessment on you. Turn around. I'm just going to pull up your shirt. It's, it's the approach and it's all because you chose to be a medical professional. So that is what I always try to get our staff back to. Yeah. And I think it's breaking kind of, I guess, stigmas and like, uh, years of also like emotional and psychological trauma that may not have been addressed at the you know developed at the workplace because it's a very obviously traumatic uh environment especially like the er or if you're you know in like intensive care or stuff like that where you see you know usually normal people don't see a number of people dying from different things on a daily basis and as a human being you're not meant to deal with that kind of trauma so you know i've seen in obviously other um professions where those professionals get desensitized to kind of their environment so you know law enforcement eventually where you see all this stuff you have to get some kind of you know emotional training you have to see somebody or 
have a release because you're going to snap and it's, you know, it's, it's going to affect your work or, you know, other stressful areas. So, and I think it's important, especially in the U S I've been in a lot of hospitals. My, my uh, grandmother actually was, um, walked into a hospital this summer with uh, stomach pain and basically said that she had like six weeks mm-hmm. to live. She had pancreatic and liver cancer. So, you know, I think wow. kind of the nurses made the difference because they were there day in and day out and I got to know them. They moved her to hospice and she passed away the day after my birthday. But, um, you know, a lot of the doctors are Sorry. not there for anything. They're there for five, 10 minutes. They actually look at all the data that's compiled by everybody else and they connect the dots somewhat right. and say, okay, how are you doing? And then there's that impersonal thing where like my mom was there on there and I'm sitting there trying to talk to my grandmother and you're asking me about insurance or this, this, that, or the other about payment. Like, you know, and I, not snap but you know my my grandmother isn't coming out of here she has terminal cancer so by you asking that this can wait this is like taking away from the last moments i have you know to remember my grandmother and i feel there's a lot of instances like that where like that compassion can um go a long way right right and see it's it's stuff like that that I've seen so much in my career where doctors would just come in and they would just boom just just treat them as a number and then I've seen doctors and I, I told my husband this like the when I went to code when I did COVID contracts in New York those were the best doctors I ever worked with in my whole entire career because they were there they helped me bathe patients they helped me turn patients they were there and when I needed them to uh, give me a medication or I needed them to come check the patient like they were at the bedside. So that's where top of the line comes in place. Like we know based on our experience, based on our years of service and medicine, I know how to target the correct medical professional so we can partner with hospitals. We can partner with nursing homes to put those medical professionals at the bedside because that's exactly what you're looking for. Right. You said it yourself, Roman, that time they sit here talking to you about money is a time that your grandmother could have potentially told your story that you never knew. You get what I'm saying? It's a time that she could have been holding your hand and they took away that time that you'll never get back. And this is why it is so important to make sure as healthcare staffing owners that you choose the correct person to put at the bedside of these patients. Um, because that, that person, right? That whole situation that happened to you with your grandmother, it could have been you and your wife doing the same thing. I'm, I'm sitting here with my husband. I'm trying to hold his hand. I'm trying to spend time with him. And y'all stressing me out about some money. Like this ain't the time. This ain't the place. I need somebody to say, hey, you know, Miss Roman, because, you know, I can't say your last name. That's why I'm keep saying Roman. <laughs> like, hey, Miss Miss Roman, can I get you some ice water? You know, can I can I call somebody to be here with you? Um, can I just sit with you in this moment? and just silence. Like that is what matters. And that is what we do at top of the line healthcare staff. Now in terms of kind of founding a, um, you know, a staffing agency in the healthcare space, when you went from a nurse at a location to a traveling nurse, um, the traveling nurse was through uh, a staffing company. And that's how you kind of like saw how that works. And then, you know, got your you know foot in the door, learned the process and then, you know, began it yourself. 
Yes. So I did staffing. Um, I traveled as a travel nurse for seven years and I knew that I wanted to do a business and I knew it wasn't healthcare, but um, most of the time they tell you to do home health. I've, I've done home health probably once, one a month, once one month in my whole life. Um, I'm an ER nurse. I'm an ICU nurse. I'm a hospital nurse. Like that was big for me. And that's what I felt comfortable with. And I had a friend. I'm so glad you brought this up. So I had a friend who I went to nursing school with and I was calling her for my nephew. And I was just like, hey, um, are you still training uh, people how to be CNAs. And she was just like, oh no, I started my own staffing agency. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's something like I want to do because I was in California as a travel nurse and they were paying me $125 an hour. And I'm just like, you're paying me $125. How much are you getting? You know, um, And I'm here 60 hours a week and I'm here 72 hours a week while you're home with your family. So I want to know what was it? And she she said, well, um, OK, when you're ready to make some real money, um, let me know. And I'm saying, what you mean? One hundred twenty five dollars an hour is good money. Like I, I told you I was I was homeless. <laughs> I, I made six twenty five. So one hundred twenty five. Roman, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was swiping, swiping, swiping like you couldn't tell me nothing. We paid off bills and everything. So we were good. But she said, the thing about it is I know that you like to help people. And when you are in this type of arena, you can help more people and you can help them still do what you love, which is, you know, medicine, taking care of patients. And I'm just like, all right. So I was like, well, how much did you make this year? And she was like, oh, this year we generated $4.5 million. And I was like, where, who? We went to the same nursing school. We we had proximity. And when she told me that and she connected me to the sources that I need to be connected to, then I started a healthcare staffing agency. And she has not lied because we have 230 medical professionals. Um, they are spread it out in North Carolina. We can operate in New Jersey and New York. And it's just they love patients. I mean, truly, truly passionate about patients. We celebrate them once a year. We have an event called the Heart of Gold Gala. It's always in Charlotte, North Carolina um, in the month of October, where we actually celebrate 52 medical professionals and five of them get uh, gets lucky to win um, during a raffle $5,000 each of debt assistance. They get five months of credit assistance. They get uh, five months with a financial uh, advisor and planner, and then they can get connected to a realtor and a mortgage uh, broker if they have plans to buy a home for those who don't have homes. So it was like on this scale, I'm reaching so many people and I'm reaching so many patients. Like it just, it just warms my heart when I call our clients to check on them and say, how's my medical professionals going? And the first thing they say is, I don't know where you get them from, but how much is it going to cost for me to get them full time? <laughs> I'm saying it's a secret to this. It's, it's, it's a math to healthcare staffing. You have to hire people who care. You have to genuinely hire people who care. And that is what I bring to the table with so much experience. I can pick them out every time of people who go above and beyond for the patient and never get recognition. So um, that is how I did came into healthcare staffing. Um, my friend introduced me to it and I have, I haven't changed. I we now have a consulting company where we consult healthcare staffing owners on how to get clients to put compassionate 
people at the bedside of patients. And then we have the nonprofit that does the Heart of Gold Gala. But not only that, we help medical professionals with like rental assistance, daycare assistance, scholarship assistance. Um, And that came about from my accountant because we were doing that from the staffing company. And she's like, you just need to open up a nonprofit. And I'm like, oh, that's another business. Like, oh, that's just a lot. (laughs) But um, it made sense, right? It made sense. You're going to do it anyway. You're going to give anyway. So you might as well make it another business. So, yep, that's how I got here. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, like also uh, dealing with staffing companies in different industries, well, especially marketing industries, <laughs> not everyone, you know, is the same or treats the, uh, you know, the the contract staff from like other places. So like one of the first places out of college, you know, I chose a role. It was uh, 16 bucks an hour from a staffing company. And then I found out that they were like billing like $60 an hour. So I was like, I'm working, like you said, you know, 40, 50 hours, that's $16 an hour. And you're literally taking twice as much hourly uh, for me being there and I'm doing all the work. And then the same exact, you know, people doing the same uh, job, but with different agencies were like making, you know, 30, 35, 40, and I was getting 16. So, there's that element also right. like, you know, being compassionate and you can still make a profit and not kind of undercut the professional because when the professional um, learns about it, they're not going to be happy. I, I remember like everybody there, we wrote like a joint right. letter, like this is ridiculous, like, you know, compared to somebody else. And, and in general, like if you treat your staff well, they'll, you know, they're more likely to perform at a high level. Right. And that that is what I said. I was just like, all right. So we found out that not only was they billing the client, I believe it was like two fifty six. It was a public document. It was two hundred and fifty six dollars an hour as RNs when I was in uh, California that they were billing the client. But they can also write it off as a tax write off because it was during COVID time. So that's almost four hundred and something dollars that you're getting. And you're giving me one hundred and twenty five dollars. And I'm just like, that is so not fair, because one of the things I always say is um, I have a three year old. And when COVID had started, um, I had told my husband, I said, look, I got to go help these nurses because New York, when you looked at the news, it was just horrible. It was like, you know, nurses are quitting. They're not coming back. Like, this is just a lot. And I'm like, babe, I got to go help my nurses because I have experience. At that time, I have 12 years experience. And I'm just like, I got to help them. Maybe they just need somebody with experience. And he goes, you can't save the world. You just had a baby, right? (laughs) The baby's six months old. You cannot save the world, Elisa. So I was just like, I have to go do this. Like it was something I needed to do. In nursing, you have these areas where you start doing stuff, like you work in the emergency room. Then you it start becoming repetitive and you don't feel like you're making a change. So you switch up, right? And that's where I was with COVID. I was like, I want to make up a, a change on a bigger impact. I want to see if this is true. And he, as great as he is, he said, okay, babe, just go, but don't go forever, right? Take a six week or four week contract. Don't go forever. Well, that went in the air, came out the other, because two years later, I looked up, I was talking to him on the phone when I was in California and 
he is like, oh, look at the video. Amazing walk today. So she was six months when I left. And when I got back, she was two. And um, she was walking. And I had missed it because it was my last child. We had five children um, together. Well, five children, one together. But it was like, that was it. I wasn't having any more children at all. Like natural birth, none of that. Uh, C-section, none of that. It was not happening. But I missed my my final baby walking. And that's when I was just like, okay, it is time for you to be a mother. You have mastered nursing. You love nursing, but you don't want to let it go. God puts your friend in the proximity of you so she can show you how you can do both. You can be a parent and you can be, you know, a nurse and still make sure patients get the same care and quality care that they deserve. But she taught me the most important thing she taught me was how to get my time back. I didn't realize how valuable time was. And when I finally came home, my son was his second year in college. My daughter was going into high school. My other daughter was going into um, middle school. Well, yeah, middle. she was leaving daycare to go into middle school. And then we had the two-year-old. And I'm just like, I missed so much time. Um, and... I just vow, like, whatever I have to do to stay home so they can see me every day, um, that's what I'm going to do. And two years, almost two years into the business, I've been home every day. And Roman, they tired of me. They they, they wish <laughs> they wished I would take a contract and go. They was like, uh-uh. She required too much. Daddy wasn't this strict. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so kind that's of different uh, shifting being, like, in the world to... Being at home, I've been remote for like the last six years, six and a half years, and everything before was like on-site in offices. So it's like a different dynamic. It's also not for for everyone. Like you have to, you know, be productive. You know, working by your by yourself and being able to have kind of like a process and schedule outside of that as well. Right. So we we I still we have an office. And I'll pop into the office and I'll go work. Uh, I, I explain this a lot to our um, healthcare staffing owners that we have a system. Like I took a whole year and a half to come down with a system that was functional and that can work to stabilize the business. And as we grow, I'm still, you know, working on things to make the system faster. Um, so we have a system where I finally could walk away from being in the office every day. And now I, I work from home or I'll go to the office. It just depends on pretty much how I feel. And I never had that luxury before. I've never had that luxury before. So it feels, it feels really good taking your kids to school and, you know, making breakfast for them and also knowing that your patients are getting the best care. So Yeah. I think that that time. And you said how many foster kids you have? After 29 kids in the last four wow. years since June of 2018, we've had five kids under the age of four um, at once. Currently, we have two. One's in the process of adoption, and one went back and then came back to us. Um, he went back into the system, so he's been with us for pretty much half of his life, almost three years. Wow. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, thank you. That that is alone. I mean, that that's a lot. Um, and you got to be mentally strong to take in other people's children. So, um, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. 
So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? Um, in your personal life and in your professional life, if you want to be successful, you have to be consistent. Um, that is one thing that you have control of. That is one thing you don't have to pay for. Um, that is one thing that will make anything in life successful is consistency. You have to commit to make yourself successful by committing and being consistent with whatever it is. So stay consistent, even when it looks hard, even when it falls apart, even when you crying and you don't know what to do. You're on the floor like, Lord, why me? Jesus, why me? <laughs> you have to stay consistent and push through. Um, and every failure leads to your millions. Every failure leads to your millions or billions for people who aspire to be billionaires out there. Yeah, and I, th I think that consistency also, like you can't have, you can't build or develop a good habit without consistency. I think they said you have to do something consistently, right. something for like 60 or 90 or whatever, you know, scientifically and 120 days in a row for it to then like be mm -hmm. imprinted as a good habit. It's like, you know, people make all these New Year's resolutions to go to the gym, but it's just like, you know, just impulsive and then they kind of drop off. So like even something like yeah, that. So they say 21 days, 21 days. If you can do something consistently for 21 days, you can make it a habit. Um, so stick in for 21 days and do stuff like put it on your phone, you know, day one, day two to remind yourself. I only got 21 days to do this consistently and then you're going to do it automatically because it becomes a habit. So 21 days at a time. Don't don't think about anything else. Day one. Day two, day three, but stay consistent because you are your best cheerleader. You are the best investment that you can ever invest in. Um, and make sure that you are allowing people in your mind that is going to help you grow mentally, physically, and financially. Those are the only people that get access to my mind. That's it. I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Oh, definitely. So we have a book. Um, is You can pre-order your book. It will be released May 20th. It's called Make the Call to Get the Client. And that is for healthcare staffing owners who are looking for ways to get clients or business salespeople who are looking the way to get more leads or clients. So it's a great read. Um, of course, I wrote it. So that's why it's a great read. <laughs> so we have that um, May 20th. And then we have the Heart of Gold Gala, um, which is in October um, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where you can purchase your tickets or sponsor a table. All the proceeds go to the medical professionals in the event and also proceeds go to the charity of choice. Um, we picked St. Jude's Kids in Charlotte um, this year as well as last year. So you can go to www.topofthelinehealthcarestaffing.com. Again, that's www.topofthelinehealthcarestaffing.com to purchase those tickets. And follow me on all social media handles. I give education just about life and about business, especially healthcare business. And you can look me up. I am the real Elisa Applewhite, and I call myself your CEO three times. Thank you so much for having me, Roman. I really appreciate this. I've been, I was stalking you, Roman. I was stalking you. I was on it. <laughs>
I appreciate you coming on. I, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. You are more than welcome. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.